Welcome to episode two of the Gluttons for Punishment podcast, or GFP, a Toronto Maple Leafs podcast hosted by Michael Lapore and Anthony Bruno. He's Lapore. I'm Bruno. Thank you so much for listening, and if you're watching us on YouTube as well. The Leafs have started the season with a, let's call it, solid 2-1 and one record over the first three games. And we're going to go over the week that was and give you our thoughts and opinions on everything that transpired with this team. But first, Lapore, how's it going, man? It's going well, man. Finally have some hockey to watch. It's a Sunday morning, lots to talk about. Uh, for those of you listening, not watching on YouTube, Anthony Bruno's hair is absolute perfection right now. I'd uh, like to see what this guy looks like when it's not a pandemic. Uh, I'm sitting here looking like a schlub. This guy's fit for a runway. But uh, again, being from Woodbridge, Ontario, uh, none of us are surprised. Lapore, it's a pretty good hair day. I mean, I'm <laughs> glad that you pointed that out. You crushed it, bro. The, the flow came out good today. You know, I'm getting ready for the podcast. I can't come on here looking like, you know, total crap. I got to make sure I'm looking sharp. But Lapore, I mean, don't don't sell yourself short here. I, I mean, look at you. Gotta, for those is, watching on YouTube, joke, have you bro. seen Michael Lapore? This is a joke. I mean, this dude, this dude is just an absolute stud. But uh. um, Laporte, now let's let's talk about this team, okay? Um, I, I I know you have some you have some fire thoughts, okay? That are, oh. that are coming this episode. I know that you're probably ready to drop the hammer on this team, even though they are two and one. Definitely. Let, let's just go over the week that was, okay? I, I'm gonna just give a a little description of what happened. So game one, the Leafs. We're down by two against the Montreal Canadiens, came back for a 5-4 overtime win, okay? Game two, yep. on the road against the Senators. In a game that, weirdly, the Senators kind of didn't really have control of. They somehow beat the Leafs 5-3. The Leafs fell asleep in the second period. They allowed three goals in a five-minute span. But then, the next night, they bounced back. Probably their best game of the season, beating the Senators 3-2 to two in a game that the Leafs, you know, pretty much dominated throughout. The Sens applied some pressure late. But at the end of the week, the Leafs are 2-1. and one. So, Lapore, what are your overall thoughts on how the team played this week? I got to hear your assessment. I think it would be impossible to look at the first three games of the season for the Leafs and say I'm happy. And I think all Leafs fans would be sitting together on that one at the end of the day bruno what have we seen from this team in the first three games that are not things that scared the shit out of us last year we haven't learned anything what i've seen from the first three games and again it's only the first three games we have a small sample size is that there is no progression zero like well what did you what do you think you saw from those three games yeah i mean here's the thing I saw a lot of the same things I saw from last season and some things I like, you know, the power play I thought was good. Mm -hmm. And that I believe is carried over from last season. You know, last season they were the number two power play in the league under Sheldon Keefe. And we'll get to the whole, you know, what they're doing with the top power play unit and things like that. Um, I think that's positive defensively. You know, especially in that game against the Senators, the first game, there was, you know, there was some defensive breakdowns. But just in terms of the overall style of play, they're still trying to, you know, play that aggressive puck control, um, you know, have the defenseman jump in in the offensive zone, be aggressive sort of style. Mm-hmm. And I know that Sheldon Keefe wants this team to have, you know, better attention to detail and be more structured. 
And yes, we did see some of those things, especially in the third game against the Senators on Saturday night. But but it's like you said, I'm not really seeing um, any real stark differences from the way this team is no, playing man. so far. No, man. The thing that jumped out to me from the first week of the season is that we all know who the favorites are. Like, I think everyone would point to Tampa Bay because they have the belt and Colorado because they're just fantastic and they're the Vegas favorite to win the whole thing. And you look at Tampa Bay's first game and they absolutely smash the Blackhawks, okay? Then they play them again and you're thinking, oh, they might take them lightly, this and that. A team's going to come out hard the second time they play them. No, they beat them again. No doubt about it, they beat them again. Then you look at Colorado where Colorado plays their first game against the Blues and gets slapped in the face. So then you don't know what to expect the second night. And they play the Blues again and put up a touchdown and a two-point conversion and embarrass them 8 nothing. So these are the teams I look at. And they gave responses and they showed up in a way that we hope the Leafs will show up. And it, it, I hate to be that guy that like, oh, where's that killer instinct? Or where's that ability to put the nail in the coffin and just humiliate your opponent and put the foot on the throat. But the Leafs haven't done that so far. So like we're all sitting here hoping that they're going to be in that tier of teams. And we were hoping to see that and we did not. And that's, as, that's where I am right now as a fan, kind of putting my hands up in the air with concern. Because we want to see progression. We want to see steps forward. We want to call ourselves a contending team, but we're not showing those traits. And again, it's only been three games, but they're not kids anymore. The Toronto Maple Leafs are no longer cute. These guys are now in their real contracts. We added additions that are vets. Anderson is on the last year of his deal. And here's this team doing the same things and showing us the same things that are slapping us in the face, telling us that they are not where we hope they are, or they should be, is what I should say. Well, I'll say this. I liked the response in the third game, coming off the 5-3 loss of the Senators. I like how they were able to bounce back, and I actually like the way they played. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to that killer instinct that you're talking about, it wasn't really there in that Senators game because, you know, they go up 3-1, to And you just want them to put the game away. Go up four. Exactly. Maybe exactly. Even, even score a fifth goal, right? Exactly. But Humiliate them. Exactly. And that, and especially against a team like Ottawa. Listen, I before the season, I thought they were going to finish dead last in the Canadian division. I still think they're going to finish dead last in the Canadian division, despite all the things they've done in the offseason, all the great young players they have. I still don't think they're ready. That's mm-hmm. a team you have to punish. And to see how Ottawa was able to stay in that game late, and how it actually got a little bit concerning. Oh man, we were all nervous. Like watching, <laughs> we were all nervous. Come on. Watching, yeah, I was like watching Come late on. in that third period. You're like, oh my dear God, if this team blows this game, oh. if this goes to overtime, I mean, we're gonna have some problems here. Because that that's just a team you don't play around, just put them away. I know it sounds so simplistic, but like that's what that's what we want. Like that's what we're aching for in Leafland. Like, like I said before, put the foot on the throat, end it. And like, we can point to the shot totals and the attempts on net. Like, I think there was some, like Toronto had something like 70 attempts on net. But wait, I'll ask you, when you were watching that game, did it feel like we were absolutely dominating? Like we had the puck, but like when the Leafs are playing the Sens, I expect them to have the puck. 
but it's not like Murray stood on his head. Like, like I don't remember any like crazy saves or these crazy scoring chances that he was robbing us. I don't know. Did you like, what'd you think on that end? Here's my whole take on it. I I've, especially the first two games against Ottawa, I have noticed that the Leafs, the Leafs controlled the majority of the play. Right. You know, even losing five, three, on yeah. Friday night, I thought the Leafs controlled that, you know, most of that game. And even after the game, you hear Matthews and Tavares talk and they were frustrated, but they said we had the puck in their end, you know, almost the entire game. Right. And, and it seemed like Ottawa, the goals that they were scoring were just sort of, you know, plays in front of the net. Yeah. You know, well, a, one was a, a fluke and one was amazing. Front. Yeah. You know, there was a couple good goals that the Senators scored. I don't want to take every, anything, you know, away from, from them, from what they've done the first two games, but but with the Leafs, I'm, I'm almost getting tired of this whole, yes, we have the puck the whole game. We're in the offensive zone. But at some point, that has to show up on the scoreboard. Oh, my God. Thank at, you. At some point, you need to produce. You need to start putting goals on the board. Because, yes, I, I love when they have the puck. Because, again, this is how this team is built, right? Control the puck. Be aggressive in the offensive zone. Put as much pressure as possible on the other team. That is what the Leafs do. Okay, they're, they're not a, a well-structured defensive team. They're not like the Dallas Stars from last season. They're not like right. Barry Trotz, New York Islanders. Now, maybe they're trying to progress towards that. I don't, I don't know if they necessarily have the personnel to do that, but the way this team is built, it's that aggressive puck control offensive style. But at some point, Lapore, you have to score some damn goals. Exactly. Like, and, I, I think and that's again, what it comes I, down to. I think, again, I'm sitting where a lot of Leafs fans are sitting saying, I'm tired of hearing about the advanced stats. Show me. Like, I'm tired of hearing that, like, oh, their XG rate was this and the attempts on that were this and they're getting unlucky and this and that. No, now it's time for results. Like, it gets to a point of sample size where I've seen enough. Like, it's got to it's gotta even out. It's The puck's got to go in. And like little details, man. And again, I, I hate to point to these things, like back to things that haven't shocked us. Montreal scored first. Surprise. Like opening night in Toronto, Montreal scores first. And even that game, man, like we were all excited. Toronto got the win in OT. Great pass by Tavares, but Toronto was fucking lucky in that game, man. Like we get those two power plays at the end of the second to tie the game again. We're trailing. Here we are trailing at home by two goals against Montreal. Two power play goals. And then the goal that tied it in the third period was bullshit. Like it goes off the referee, ends up in front of the net, and we tie it. I mean, it wasn't like, ooh, a great win. The, the Leafs looked amazing. It was a typical Leafs win in the way that they got into a track meet and they came out on top. But like those aren't the games we want to see anymore. And because again, those aren't the types of games teams play who are legitimate contenders. Yeah, and like no, they, they have to look in the mirror. Like if this team wants to change, I mean, it's easy to say like, yeah, look in the mirror and change, but they have to look in the mirror and change. They have to dial in. And, and that, that game against the Sens, like, again, it was so typical of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the way that they came off that win against Montreal. So they have days to rest. Ottawa hasn't played a game since last March. There, again, like you said, everyone thinks they're going to finish last in division. Could it have been more typical in the way that the Leafs went into that game and from the way they were playing, it looked like they were just listening to too many podcasts telling them how good they are? Like <laughs> that, that game was an absolute embarrassment. They looked, The Leafs looked like they were playing an exhibition game. 
And I know, like, again, it's weird playing in the empty, empty arenas and this and that. And again, you're playing a weaker opponent coming off a win, but that was bad. Like that was one of the worst performances I've seen, I think, in the Matthews era. Because it wasn't one of those losses where, again, if they would have outshot Otto by 20 shots and the goalie stands on his head, like people, it's not just a loss to the Senators. You can lose to a quote unquote bad team in the NHL and have a good performance. But that was a bad performance. Like Brody was bad. And I mean, they pointed to it and Keith pointed to it in his uh, post game. Like I thought Nylander was bad in that game. There was one play, it was weird. I don't know if you noticed it. I think this kind of summed up the Leafs mindset going to this game, Matthews and Marner had a two on one down low really quick. And here you sit up in your seat because you're expecting Matthews to fire it. And he just kind of fed it over to Marner. And then Marner did like the one knee thing. He tried to go far side, uh, far side, top corner. He missed the net. And it was one of those ones where it almost felt like Matthew, it looked like pickup hockey in the way that Matthews almost passed it because he felt obligated to pass it. Whereas like in a real game, you would have shot it. And then Marner just tried to be cute again. And it was like, guys, no, like dial in. It, it just, I, I thought, I thought that game was really, really bad, really bad. Again, what were the shots in that game? They, they were, uh, I think we only had like 24 shots Yeah, the like, shots against did, an Ottawa team that hasn't played in a year. Like, yeah, man. It, I think the shots were like more or less even in that game. I mean, it wasn't like game three where the Leafs outshot them by, yeah. it was like 20 or something like that. Yeah. But, it was like 40 to 19 or something. Yeah. And, and you bring up a good point about Marner. I have not been impressed with him no. in the season. Now, I will say with Matthews, I think he's generating scoring chances, a ton of shot attempts. He, he to me, looks like typical Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe he wasn't fantastic in all three games, but I have no problem with the way he's been playing. But with Mitch Marner, those first two games in particular, he was almost a ghost out there. Yeah. And, and I, I just I didn't like what I was seeing from the chemistry of that line. And that's something we'll get into uh, later in the podcast. But Lapore, speaking of the new additions to this team, yeah. and you brought up TJ Brody. I mean, obviously Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons, Jimmy VC. Um, do you think have you been pleased with the way that any of these guys have played so far? Do you think any of them have elevated this team in any way so far this season? My quick answer is no. I mean, because again, like what we've seen in these first three games, they look like the Maple Leafs of last year. Um, I mean, Simmons got in that fight and we can talk all day long about if that pumped up the team into getting motivated into a comeback. Um, I mean, I guess VC, again, that we talked last week about how like VC's kind of got nothing to lose with this team and there's uh, there's no real expectations. Like, I think he's been fine. Uh, Brody had that nightmare in the second game. He looked good last night. I mean, I'll give him some time, like playing D in those types of minutes. We'll give him some time. It, was it just me? And I'll ask you, like, it seemed like uh, Keith was giving Simmons a lot of ice and even a lot of ice with talent. Like, it, it was almost to the point in that second game, like the first game against the Sens, where I think Keith quickly saw what was going on and how bad the Leafs looked. And he was like, hey, you guys aren't playing. Like, almost like he was taking minutes away from the higher end players saying, you know, sit your ass down. You're not playing. You guys look like trash. I don't know. Did you see that? Because he like Simmons was on a lot, like in that game. Yeah, what I don't understand, period, to be <laughs> honest with you, is just what, what Keith is doing with Simmons and Joe Thornton. Okay. And the amount of ice time they're getting, how they're both on the top power play unit, 
Yeah, I noticed him as on the power play. Uh, yeah, and I noticed in game two against Ottawa, um, I'm not exactly sure about Simmons' minutes, but Thornton played like three more minutes than John Tavares in that game. Are you, I didn't even notice that. Are you serious? It's Yeah, he played – Thornton played, I, I believe it was like 18 minutes in that second game, and okay. Tavares played – it was like 15 and a half or something like that. Perfect. And I, I've noticed early on – I don't understand what the mindset is here. And maybe this will take us into this top power play unit situation, how Keith has Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons on the top unit with Marner, Matthews, and Morgan Riley. And my theory behind this, Lapore, is that these are two veterans coming in, and I think the organization wants them to feel welcome, wants them to feel like they're contributing, wants them to feel like they matter. And... From what I've seen so far, that first power play unit, they finally scored for the first time um, Saturday night against the Senators. That right. was the first goal that that unit actually scored. To me, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever because when you have Tavares and Nylander on that top unit with Marner, Matthews, and Riley, they're essentially the best power play unit in the league. So yeah. what the hell are the Leafs doing here continuing with this top power play unit? Yeah, I think they actually were the top power play in the league when it came to generating, maybe not by goals or percentages, but but by generating scoring chances. Yeah, no, it's weird, man. Like like these combinations and like talking to hockey people, um, me not being one of them, <laughs> talking to some high end hockey people I know, they say one of the biggest flaws a lot of the, a lot of these young modern coaches have is over coaching, overthinking things, and like that's the vibe I've been getting from these first three games in the way of trying to all these weird line combinations. Like I'm, if I remember correctly, there was a goal to send scored in that second period where the Leafs had Matthews, Simmons and Spezza on at the same time. Like, what is that? Like, like why are those three guys on the same line together? And of course they got scored on, of course. And back to not overthinking it. You mentioned like the power play. Okay. So this power play was elite with those five guys on because they're the best players. Don't overthink it. Put the talented guys out there who can score. That's it. And keep them out there for a minute and a half. Who cares? Like, like again, it's not about being cute. And like you mentioned before about like, you know, trying to make these guys feel welcome. No, we're not, this organization shouldn't be about making guys feeling welcome. We should run like a corporation. It's black and white. It's about the best players being on in the situation where they're paid to score. The best players have to be the best players. And if you want to get in that category of best players, you have to be one of the best players. So if you're not, you're not going to be. And that and that's where my frustration lied in the first three games is that I didn't see that intensity again. And now we're going full circle again, but it, it came from Keith too, man. Like I'm a little like, a lot's on Keith. Like, like I, I think we've kind of given him that leeway because he came through the Marlies in the situation with Babcock last year. But man, you're given an elite, an elite team. Like r- results have to be there. And I'm not saying, oh, this guy's gonna get fired. Like, or he's on the hot seat. It's not even close to that. But no, like, like, like we want to see results, and especially in this division. Like this year, the Leafs have been given a runway, man. Like, this is an advantage to us. We touched about it last week. So just keep it simple and win. 
Like, yeah, again, again, it's, it sounds so overly simplistic, but it, it all comes into play talking about the power play and the line combinations. When you have the best team or the better team, play the best players, play them in those situations. Don't overcoach. I don't know, what's your assessment of Keith? Yeah, and listen, I'm a big Sheldon Keith guy. In the last episode, I went over all the numbers in terms of how yeah. much they improved once he took over from Babcock last season. And I'm still, I still think it's early, obviously. We're three games in, and I'm still willing to give Keith the benefit of the doubt here. 100%. But, yeah. but there are things that are concerning me. That's the and, right word, concerning. And it's like yeah. I said about this top power play unit. And, you know, even the first line, having Thornton play with Marner and Matthews, there are things that just do not make sense. And this is something that I always got frustrated with, with Mike Babcock, right? It's do the obvious goddamn thing. Yeah. Play Austin Matthews 20 plus minutes a game. Play your best players 19 to 20 plus minutes a game. Yeah. It, it, it comes down to that, right? So going back to this whole power play situation, it's funny because when the Leafs had their first five on three, who were the guys that went out on the power play? It was the actual five best players, the actual top power play unit, and they scored immediately. Oh, and they, oh, and they scored, yeah. Oh, Marner and Tavares, they scored. So, like, yeah. so now are we, are we only waiting until the Leafs have a two-man advantage for that unit to go out on the ice? Like, how long is this going to continue where we're going to have to see Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton out there? And listen, you know, the Leafs are, are still probably going to produce – and score goals. Like I said, they finally scored a power play goal with that unit on the ice in game three against the senators, but it just gets to a point where you have so much talent. Stop trying to galaxy brain the situation here, play your best players, put the guys out on the power play who deserve to be out there. And this team is going to win some games. And again, going full circle, like you've been saying, Lapore, we need to see that killer instinct at one point. And I like that you brought up that eight nothing avalanche win yeah. because the avalanche come out in their first game they lose four to one they don't look great everyone has them as the favorite to win the stanley cup and then they just absolutely demolish they smash them like i watched that obliterate game obliterate st louis them. in game two like i like just embarrass them and and i'm not saying the leafs have to go out there and beat ottawa eight nothing but no I but i want the them leafs. to that's the thing like, the, like the, the, with the the performance they had in the first game against Ottawa, that's what I wanted to see in the next game. Mm-hmm. It's like let's throw that. Show us you're throwing that game in the trash, and they didn't do it. They played conservative, and you could tell they're a little more dialed in, attention to detail. But no, I wanted them to smash them, and it's easy for me to say, "Oh, I want my team to smash the other team," but I wanted that smash type of performance, and we didn't get it. And again, that's what that's what's annoying, man, and that's what's concerning. And saying all that, Lapore, we've been uh, we've been pretty hard on this team so far. Is there anything that you've liked from this team over the first three games? Not really. Again, because like the thing, okay, what would I say? I like, oh, they create chances, they can score. Like everything I've, I I would point to and say I like are things I already knew about this team. And they're things we've seen from this team in the last few years. So really at the end of the day, I'm exactly in the same spot of this team being where they were in the way that they're fun to watch. Every game's a nail biter, but the negatives, there's too many negatives still there. 
And then I'm in full show me mode, full show me mode with this team. So if there's anything directly, maybe nothing just coming to my head now, but that I really and truly liked. No, really. Like I'm seeing the same flaws over and over again. Why did anything jump out to you? Nothing specifically has jumped out to me again. We, we know what this team is, right? So I, I'm not surprised at all with the way that they're able to control the pace of the game. Um, but one thing I will say that I have noticed, despite, you know, his, his blunders in game two, is TJ Brody. And okay. I actually really like the way that he's played in games one and three. Okay. And even at certain points in game two, I know he, he had a couple giveaways and he, he just didn't look good. But... You know, and going back to the Cody CC conversation we had in the last podcast, there were just too many times where you you essentially had an AHL defenseman out there with Morgan Riley. And just the way that I'm watching Brody move the puck out of the zone, you know, making quick, smart de- decisions, being efficient. You know, he's actually been decent also running the second power play unit. And mm-hmm. I really think that it's solidified our blue line. And again, the Leafs have still had some defensive breakdowns, things they got to clean up. Um, But I would say of all the new guys that have come in, um, I've actually really liked the way that TJ Brody's been playing for the most part. Yeah. If we kind of throw out some of those terrible moments in game two. Yeah, the game two. Like game two, I'm willing to throw in the trash. Like that was an absolute nightmare and the team was bad all around. What have your thoughts been on Bogosian? Okay, Speaking so the first D. game, I thought Bogosian was a dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I thought he was terrible. He took a couple bad penalties. He just looked choppy out there. Yep. It, it just didn't look like he was smooth. He wasn't playing with confidence. Just think, and, and again, it was the first game of the season against Montreal. I'm willing to give the dude the benefit of the doubt, you know, coming off a Stanley Cup championship with Tampa Bay. But I, I was ready to just put Miko Lettinen in the line. Yeah, we need Le- yeah, show that. us Lettinen now. Like that was my reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Bogosian to me, and you know what? He settled down a little bit now. He, he hasn't really been getting a lot of ice time, which, you know, is great <laughs> considering the way that he's, he's looked so far. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's only playing 12 to 14 minutes a game essentially. And, I do like the way that he bounced back in games two and three. Now, when I say that, it means that I didn't really notice him. And that's what I want from especially the Leafs' bottom pair. Right. Dermot and Bogosian or whoever else ends up, you know, coming into the lineup at some point, you know, if Bogosian or Dermot are, are scratches later in the season. I don't want to notice them. Yeah. Just come out and do your job because – once you start giving the puck away, making stupid decisions, taking dumb penalties, that's when you know fans go, oh my God, Zach Bogosian, this is terrible. Oh my God, Travis Dermott, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. I want that bottom pair on defense to come out and just play a solid game and don't make dumb mistakes and stupid decisions. That's all I want from the bottom pair. And I, it's, it, it's gotten a little bit better especially looking at game three, but, but that's been my assessment um, so far with this blue line. Uh, what do you think, Lepore? Actually, back to the topic of things that maybe were positive in these first few games, I thought Justin Hole looked pretty good, like pretty confident rushing the puck, distributing the puck, guiding play in his own zone, not over committing, like just kind of like how we touched on last week, like just be fine, like hammering home that point, just be fine. So I... 
I'll give uh, Justin Hole a high five based on the first three games of the season. But no, like I'm with you when it comes to Bogosian. Like, man, he looked bad. Like he looked just old and bad. And and like the, that panic you get when you see your defenseman reaching, like either reaching with his hand or reaching for a stick and he's not moving his feet. We saw a lot of that from Bogosian. You mentioned again the, uh, the penalties he took. Like for this team to be successful, like he's got to be at the bottom bottom of that uh defensive group another guy i thought looked pretty good and he got a lot of buzz on uh on uh, twitter was uh and, and away from the defense is kerfoot like i saw like a, a few moments of brilliance a lot of speed entering the zone a lot of solid zone entries like creating chances here and there he did get that goal where he picked the corner i mean what were your thoughts on him yeah kerfoot to me looks really fast he he looks like the kerfoot I thought the Leafs were getting last season. Yeah, he looked in the bubble. Like he, he, he. There was a lot of improvements in the like in the five games in the bubble. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing really good flashes from him. Um, he, he's quick. He's good in the offensive zone. Um, he can be a little gritty too. You know, he's not afraid to mix it up in the corners and things like that. And, and I'm not saying he's going into the corners and running dudes over, but I just yeah. like, you know, how his ability to win puck battles, and and it kind of reminds me. Another guy who I thought has played pretty well is Zach Hyman. Oh, Hyman's been awesome, man. Hyman's been great. And and he's a guy, and again, going back to episode one of this podcast where we were talking a little bit about Zach Hyman, I was never really a fan of him early on in his Leafs tenure. But he has grown on me year after year after year. And to me, I will be absolutely stunned if he is not back on that top line at some point with Matthews and Marner. Me too. Because Seems like a no-brainer. Because game in and game out, just the consistency from Zach Hyman, the compete level, and I hate to use those buzzwords, <laughs> right? Where's but, the compete? Yeah. But he, <laughs> he plays so hard, and he's so tenacious, and you just know what you're getting from him. Exactly. Because there's some dudes on this team where it's like going back to how we talked about Marner earlier – you know, I thought he was essentially invisible the first two games. And yeah, you know, he made a couple a couple nice passes here and there. But for the most part, I thought Matthews was totally carrying that line. Yeah. But with Zach Hyman, even though you're not getting the same offensive ability of a Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews or the top guys, you just know what he's going to bring you on a game-in, game-out basis. And I think that's so important for this team. So that's a guy who I would like to see continue to just get more opportunities on this team. So yeah, I mean, you nailed it with Kerfoot. I think Hyman's played well, Morgan Riley. I got, I got a man crush on Morgan Riley. I, <laughs> I've, I love the way he's played. Yeah. He's involved, I'm man. Flying all over the ice, just making things happen. Um, what, what's been your assessment actually of more of Morgan Riley so far? Right. Riley's Riley's been what I expected. Like he just, he's just consistently very good. Again, like whether we're going to put him in that category of Norris Trophy candidate, but like what more can you ask for? And like to, something that doesn't get talked about enough is his salary. Like I have like those Dom LeCision and those guys like do those metrics on who are the highest value guys in the NHL based on their performance. He's got to be one of the best contracts in the league in terms of contribution. Like, man, I don't know what this team would do without Morgan Riley. Like, that, that's a topic on, on its own. We, we can talk for three hours about that. What would this team do without him playing those minutes? And that thing, too, like, we think guys are bad. So imagine Riley wasn't Riley and all these guys were given more responsibility. Like, this team would be in a lot of trouble. Like, I don't even know what this team would do. And again, with that contract, 
So that, that we, we talk about these guys we have at the top, like the Matthews, the Marners, Nylanders, Tavares, and having them locked into their deals and a timeline. And I hate talking about windows, but this window gets circled of this team and when they can achieve success, uh, we might look back to when Morgan Riley leaves or when he gets re-signed for whatever he's going to be worth and say, that was our window, having Morgan Riley at his current salary because his performance is like, just again, consistently good. The way he rushes the puck, the way he holds the puck, the way he uh, sends the puck up the ice to the forwards. He's, he's, he's an asset all the time, every game. And, and again, back to the thing that's most impressive about him is that you can always rely on him. And that's it. And you, know, again, I, it you nailed it with Riley and especially with his contract situation because that dude is going to get paid. Oh, man. He's going to get paid large. And, and I think that's going to create even more headaches for this Leafs team. I'm surprised not of, getting talked about more, man. Like, in that's terms a of the salary cap situation. And, and it's like you said, you take Morgan Riley off this blue line. I mean, it's a disaster because oh, there is not fucked. a single player on this Leafs blue line who can play the role that he plays. Right. Now, I'm still, I'm still very optimistic about Miko Lettinen, even though we haven't seen him yet. And I oh, think yeah, he has you, a you lot You like of- Lettinen, right, Bruno? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm the captain of the, of the Miko Lettinen fan club, even though he hasn't played a single- <laughs> He hasn't played a game yet. He hasn't played Hashtag, a single uh, second Leafs Nation. for the yeah. Hashtag Leafs I'm Nation. Still, Bruno's got the jersey the hanging on the wall. He hasn't played a game yet. Oh, man. But, I mean, that's one guy that maybe comes to mind who can, who can do the same things in terms of play in the same situations, run the top power play. But, for example, I can't see TJ Brody doing the things Riley does. Jake Muzzin right. can't do that. Justin right. Hall can't do that. They're all essentially knockoffs offensively of what Morgan exactly. Riley can provide this team. Yeah. And yeah, that that's going to be one hell of a situation once he becomes an unrestricted free agent. I mean, who knows if even if it gets to that point, you know, maybe they re-sign him before he tests the open market. Who knows how that's going to play out, but I don't know. I actually yeah. thought and this is this is a whole separate discussion, but I thought the world was going to be shocked and I thought Riley was going to be named captain. Like that, that whole discussion, I mean, people were debating Tavares versus Matthews. I, th- I thought, man, I'm like, it's going to be Riley. I just th- kind of thought it'd be that safe thing. But I don't know, like I, I was wrong. And I don't think anyone would have had a problem with Morgan Riley being captain. Again, we touched on it last week. The guy's been with this organization for a while. He's been through some bullshit. I don't know. I mean, again, I was wrong. And it's, it's a mute point now. But, but you I was know what? hoping Before slash I- thinking he was going to be captain. I, I like this. I, let's stick on this captain conversation for a second because okay. I thought it was very interesting. And again, I mean, this is in the past, but it also affects this team moving forward. And I think we should talk about it. Um, I, was, I, was, I wasn't too surprised that they named Tavares the captain. And I think that Babcock probably had a big say in that. Okay. But... But I, I do think that Morgan Riley, to a certain extent, was was pissed off about this because really he's been here through thick and thin. He's essentially the longest tenured Leaf at this point. And one thing I love about him is he's very vocal, whereas Tavares is more of a, you know, he just kind of yeah. goes about his business. He's not really a vocal leader. And again, you know, like Sundin wasn't a vocal leader. And we both love Matt Sundin. Yeah. But I, 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 there you go. Right. Look, yeah. look on the wall behind Lapore for those There's watching Mads. on YouTube. I mean, damn, we could, we could talk for days about captain Mats, but 
But yeah, I, I think Morgan Riley really wanted to be the captain of this team. And the more that I, I kind of watch this team play and the more that I think about it and I see Morgan Riley, you know, talk to the media post game, the more I think, oh my God, this guy should have been the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. So I was weird. I was weird on it because like Tavares was the safe choice. Let's call a spade a spade. Like if it would have been Matthews, people would have said, Oh, maybe he's too young. There was that whole incident in, uh, in the off season. That we, I don't want to talk about yeah, captain underpants. <laughs> oh God. Brutal. So there was that whole incident. So maybe if that played a role in it, cause I remember Chris Johnson said, a month or two before that, that Matthews was going to be captain. Like he was on, I heard, I was listening to him on a podcast and he said, Austin Matthews will be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then John Tavares was named captain. And you're left to think maybe that whole incident affected it. But again, he was the safe choice. And I'll get your opinion on this. There was part of me that thought, and not even necessarily directly to do with the FNUF thing, but is it a bad idea for the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs to be a defenseman? just based on the added pressure of, you know, you get beat. Like, I'll put it this way. That goal McDavid scored last year when he just walked Riley. I, I was in the building for that goal. Oh, were you? <laughs> oh, my God. That was one of the dirtiest goals I've oh, ever Oh, it was seen. ridiculous. It, oh it was one of those God. plays where the move itself wasn't really anything special. Like, it wasn't like a spinorama, puck between the legs, top shelf move, but it was just something that – that was so simple for McDavid, which makes it so scary. But anyways, it, it's just one of those things where Riley gets walked like that or the team's had defensive problems or getting lit up. It sucks for him to have to answer the questions every time in the locker room, just being the defenseman. And maybe I'm just totally out of left field on this one and completely wrong. But I just think there's in a market like Toronto, there's more pressure on a D-man to be captain where – if it's a center, if it's a forward, I mean, oh, you're not producing. I mean, well, you're not producing, whatever. That, there's going to be spells where you're not producing. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from, especially with the narrative around this team. How yeah, that's the right word. The narrative that would have been created. Below yeah. average for, you know, let's let's say the last decade, really, right? <laughs> I mean, it's felt like longer than that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can see that a little bit. And it's like you said, Tavares was the safe choice, right? The dude yeah. captained the Islanders for, I don't know how many, well, six, seven years, something around there. You know, he's experienced. He's older. He's an you adult. Know, the, guy, <laughs> the guy has a wife and a kid. And he's just, he's just you know, at a, at a he, he's, he's further along in life, let's say, right? It just exactly. seemed like, you know, a perfect guy to name captain for this organization. Whereas you look at Matthews, it's like you said, he's a little bit young and immature, and, you know, Marner, I don't really see having the captain qualities. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that that might be a conversation that comes up depending on how this team plays. And, again, yeah, whoever the captain of this team is isn't really a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But it is, you know, it is something interesting to look back on and talk about as we continue to watch this team moving forward. Yeah. Um, now, Lepore, looking at – some of the other teams in the Canadian division so far, specifically the teams that the Leafs have played. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on the Montreal Canadiens because coming into the season, I wasn't totally convinced with some of the offseason moves they've made. And if you speak to Habs fans, it's it's as if they picked up, you know, Crosby and Malkin in the offseason and this team is ready to go win a Stanley Cup. 
Um, but what are some of your thoughts on the way that the Habs have looked so far? I say this as a full-on compliment to the Montreal Canadiens. That team is fucking annoying. When in, watching that game against Toronto, they just they just wouldn't go away. And every time a Toronto player had the puck, they were all over them. Of course, they got Carey Price. We can talk all day about how good Carey Price is. But that team is a well-balanced team. And I, I'm with you. Like, I think people were using a lot of recency bias, looking at what they did in the bubble and forgetting that that team, uh, were they 24th last year in the regular season? They, like, they got yes. so lucky to make the playoffs. Yeah, they, they were one of the last teams to get in. But I, I, I was pointing to that. But, I mean, obviously, Anderson, I mean, that deal, we can talk a lot about the term of it, but he's looked good so far. Suzuki is sick. Like, Suzuki's an awesome player. And they have they have a lot of guys who are just good enough to get in the way and produce. And again, they're almost very different than the Leafs then in the, in the sense that they are well-balanced and they can beat you in a lot of different ways where you know how Toronto's going to beat you. Toronto's going to beat you with the big boys scoring. But uh, I will say it, man, from a playoff perspective, I'm scared shitless of the Montreal Canadiens. Like, like I, I, a seven-game series with the Leafs right now, like, I'd put that as a coin flip. Of course, the Leafs have more talent and more big names. But the balance in that lineup, the way they play, I think Julian's a good coach. And bet against Carey Price be my guest. So, I got to say, so far, so good for the Montreal Canadiens. They, another big, they hammered Edmonton last night, too. So... I don't know. Montreal's here, man. They're here and they need, they, everyone in the Canadian division should be made aware of the Habs. That's my opinion. Anyway, what do you think? Yeah. In, in terms of the Habs, I, I do like the way they played, especially in game one against the Leafs, you know, looking at how the Leafs played against the senators. And I mentioned this earlier in the show that I thought the Leafs controlled most of the play. And it, it sort of reminded me of, the Leafs in the bubble against the Blue Jackets, where I thought throughout that series, even though the Leafs lost, they controlled most of the play, but the Blue Jackets obviously won the series. Whereas that Habs game, they traded a lot of chances with Toronto. Mm-hmm. And despite not having the same talent level, you know, there were moments in that game, it was back and forth. Both teams were getting quality scoring chances. Yeah, Montreal plays fast. They play really fast, they play hard. And it's like you said, Julian's a great coach. And they got Carey Price, who I will take over Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell any day of the week. Yeah, exactly. And that's terrifying, especially in a seven-game playoff series. And I like their defense core as well. Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, the uh, the kid Alexander Romanov. They they got a pretty nice defense core. They picked up Joel Edmondson. I mean, he's nothing special, but but that's a team that has solid depth. And they're well coached. They got great goaltending. So they're going to be a problem throughout the season. Now, yeah, where, where I did see there was a glaring difference between the two teams, and you could disagree if you want, was in overtime. Where I think in overtime, the Leafs' skill level just, I mean, it just jumps off the screen. Because yeah. no matter who they're putting out on the ice, whether it's the pair of Tavares and Nylander, Matthews and Marner, I mean... Riley's out there essentially like a forward and and yeah, that's exactly. where I think Montreal sort of gets exposed for their lack of high-end talent and game breakers and it's like you said Nick Suzuki I think is really good and at some point 
you know, could become, I mean, you, you could argue right now he's their best player, but he could elevate into that tier where he's talked about as one of the top centers, you know, in the conference, let's say. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think that team is there yet, but I really like the way they play and I like their depth. And it's like you said, Lepore, that's, that's a team. I think everyone in the Canadian division should be scared of, especially if you have to play them in a seven game playoff series. Yeah. Like, and you mentioned the point though, um, about the, the overtime and them, I guess they don't really have, like who'd be their best skating puck moving defenseman. Would it be Petrie? Like a guy who can join the rush, maybe pop in a goal, like distribute yeah, to the it's, forwards. It's essentially Petrie and they're really high on Romanov as well, who looks yeah. like he's pretty smooth, but yeah, I mean, defensive. And cause like Shea Weber's not that guy, like sure. Yeah. He's great on the power play with a booming shot, but in terms of yeah. three, we all love overtime, him. But yeah. yeah. He's not that dude. But uh, no, I mean, it's like, it's like you said, the Habs, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be a, something to deal with all season long. They're annoying. They play hard. They're a pain in the ass. So, so we know what that team's about. Lapore shifting over now to the Senators. Yeah. Okay? And I said this <laughs> off the top of the show. I still think they're going to finish dead last in the division. You know, I, I love some of the offseason moves they've made, and I like the direction this team is heading in. Um, but what are your assessments of the Senators so far? Living, of course, in Ottawa, yeah, Michael Lapore. Like, like, like I said last week, behind enemy lines. The thing that, jumps up, that jumped out to me about the Sens is you look at the guys in their lineup. You look at Kachuk. You look at Shabbat. They brought in Stutzla, who's incredible. Like, what a goal that was uh, last night. But just watching their body language and the way they play, they love to play hockey. These guys are having an absolute blast out there every time they're on the ice. And I think that's something that's underappreciated in the modern NHL. And that's a good sign for the Sens and their fans, man. Just having these guys that have enthusiasm and, and just love to play. And you hear all the time about these guys in the NHL. A lot of them don't necessarily love hockey. They just happen to be really, really good at it. They've been playing since they're kids and they have athletic ability and they're sort of physical geniuses and they can put the puck in the top corner. And then there's the other kids who they just love the sport. And a lot of GMs and coaches who I've heard in interviews say that comes into play with the, um, the interviews at the draft. Like some people kind of look past those interviews and don't really pay too much attention to them. But for some GMs and coaches, they're at the height of importance. Because when they talk to these kids, they get a sense of how much they actually love the sport of hockey and how much they commit to it. Because with that too, I think it kind of goes hand in hand in the way of a commitment to winning. So like I, I see these guys in their enthusiasm on the ice. And again, it's in their body language. I think it's almost impossible to miss. Like Kachuk, that kid on every play, like he's chirping, but then he's got the smile on his face. He's lively on the bench. When he's, he loves to score, like that celebration he does, that tip was crazy, by the way. Like uh, the guy on the uh, the guy on the call, I forget who, who did the call in that game, the color guy, but he was kind of criticizing Brody for not tying up Kachuk's stick. I was like, nah, I don't know. That was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that tip. was an insane I don't, tip. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it, what Brody was really supposed to do on that one, but I, I think it's a good uh, it's a good signs for Sens fans. And with regard to those young kids and their enthusiasm and their jump, and what appears to be a great commitment to being elite players. It's good sign. It, that that's all fun and good and great. Yeah. What do what do you think about uh, my hometown sense? 
No, and like you said, I, I think the first guy I thought about when you described your assessment of that team is Brady Kachuk. Yeah. I mean, that dude is just everywhere. Brady Kachuk is exactly what the Toronto Maple Leafs need. Oh my God. He's just, he's, he's throwing hits. And it's easy he's, to say that about a great player, but everyone knows what I mean by that. Oh, yeah. he's just, that that's a dude that you would just absolutely love to have on your team. He's constantly chirping. He's constantly throwing his body around. He's getting in the corners. He's getting in front of the net. He's pissing people off. He's a good offensive player. Yeah. I mean, I, I just love everything about that kid. And then another kid who I'm slowly, slowly falling in love with is Tim Stutzla. It's crazy. Oh my God. And, and I don't want to say that the LA Kings made a terrible mistake passing on him at number two with, you know, they took Quinton Byfield. Yeah, but based on signs, yeah. what I've seen so far, just looking at them in the world juniors and seeing how good Stutzla is, you know, over the first couple of games where, you know, he's not even really playing that much, right? He's playing like 14, 15 minutes a night. This kid to me, and again, I don't want to jump the gun. He looks like he's going to be a very, very good NHL player for oh a long God. time. I think, I think there might be an argument by season's end that he should win first overall. Because again, he, he just turned 19. So, uh, man, and, and again, like you mentioned the point about the World Juniors. I, I mentioned during that tournament, imagine he played for Canada. Imagine he was put into that lineup and given that type of support, the types of numbers he would have put up. Oh, man. Like he's playing for Germany. He, he would have been the best player on Team Canada. There, Yo, no, the, no question about no question about it. I heard a no, stat actually during during the broadcast that of the 15 goals that Germany scored in the World Juniors, Tim Stutzla okay. was in on 14 of those goals. Are you serious? Something something absurd like that, or, or sorry, that he was on the ice, I believe, for, okay. for 14 of the goals. So not not exactly um, he wasn't on the score sheet for all those goals, but he was on the ice and. Yeah. and and just watching him play, and it's like you said, going back to just the enthusiasm, you, you can just tell he loves being out there, and, and he just wants to dominate. Awesome. And he he looks so, so good. And just the way, like, he, he looks strong. And, and I think that just comes from playing. Like, he's played with men, right? That's another thing that, that yeah. sometimes we forget about some of these guys coming over from Europe. Yeah, German he's, elite league, right? Like, yeah, he, yeah he's, he's already played professional hockey with grown men. And I, and I think it shows because he's come in right away and he's contributed and he looks great. And, and that's a player that if I'm a Senators fan, man, giddy up. That's a jersey I'm buying. Yeah, if, I'm, if I'm a Senators fan, but I'm a jersey snob, decade, by the way, everyone. You, you have that guy in your top six, you know, with some of the other talent they have with Brady Kachuk and even guys like Josh Norris and, uh, and Drake Batherson. Yeah, Batherson's look the, good. The American yeah. League last season. Yeah, he's look really good. And then Thomas Shabbat, who I think is incredible on the back end. And, and that's, a, that's a nice team moving forward. So, yeah, I, I think the Senators, you know, right now, no. I, I don't think they're, they're really going to do anything this year in the yeah. North Division. Yeah, sure, maybe they're going to pull off some surprise wins like you know, the five, three win over Toronto, but yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't really see that team, you know, finishing higher than sixth or seventh in the division. So yeah, that's the way I look at it. Lepore going, going back to the Leafs for a second. Okay. Um, this has been a big topic of conversation on social media. It's with Joe Thornton. Yeah. Okay. We've gone over this. He's 41 years old. He's playing 16 and a half minutes per game through the first three games. Laporte, the last Shit. two seasons in San Jose, 
He played 15 and a half minutes per game. So his ice time has raised a minute per game with the Leafs so far. He's on the first power play unit. He's on the top line with Matthews and Marner. What's going on here, Lepore? Yeah, I don't know. I don't like, I I just don't get it. Like I I mentioned before about like me not being like a quote unquote hockey guy, like hockey man, as they say. But when I think of a line and we touched on this last week, I'd like to think and hope that when you have a line of three guys, there's something that each guy on the line can do better than the other two. And when I look at a line that has Marner, Thornton and Austin Matthews, what does Thornton do better than Matthews and Marner? I don't know. Like you, you touched on Hyman before. You put Hyman on that line. We know exactly what Hyman's role is on that line. You know, we know he's going to do the dirty work. He's going to go in front of the net. He's going to be an energy guy. With Thornton, I, I put my hands up in the air and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. And, and again, like I, I can't see it lasting. I can't, but... I mean, weird things happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, like you mentioned before that, that you don't see it, but do you have any perspective on what they're trying to accomplish with that? Like, do you think in Sheldon Keefe's brain, he thinks this is a thing? I, I, I can't see this lasting at all. And I, I don't understand Keefe's mindset I, putting I and mean, continuing to do this. And I know we're only three games into the season, but I would like to believe, okay, in terms of everything that Sheldon Keefe has accomplished in his coaching career, he's a smart guy. He's won everywhere he's been. Yeah. I can't possibly see him thinking that this is going to work long-term. Because, listen, I don't want people to, to get all pissed off because I know Thornton scored in the Leafs' yeah. 3-2 win over the Senators. It was yeah. a nice drop pass from Marner. That was great. They were smiling. Everything looked great. But – that chemistry is still off to me and maybe because it's the lack of training camp and preseason games, but I'm watching Thornton out there and I'm just seeing some of the little plays they're making in the offensive zone Lapore, and they're just not on the same page. Yeah. And I think that's a big reason why that line they had, you know, Matthews and Marner had one assist in the first two games each. That was it. And I know they, they broke out in game three and things were good, but I'm not seeing the chemistry with that line and I'm not seeing how Thornton is working into that equation. I I just don't see it because listen, Thornton still has the IQ and he still has the playmaking ability and he could still contribute. But to me, like, for example, I look at a guy like Jason Spezza. I'm sorry. Tell me if I'm wrong, but what can Spezza do better than Joe Thornton? And I'm not saying that Spezza should be on the first line, but why is Thornton there? Thornton should be in a bottom six role. Yeah. Like enough with the shenanigans. And sure, maybe the chemistry is going to get better as the season goes on here. But I think that this should just end immediately. I think you just throw Hyman back on that that top line and you call it a day and you put Thornton in a bottom six role. I don't care who he plays with. I, I think that that would be a lot better for this Leafs team moving forward. Yeah, we, we you touched on before the Leafs' abilities three-on-three. So you have Marner and Matthews, who you'd throw out their total no-brainer would be elite three-on-three players. And to sum this all up, they're playing with a player who you wouldn't dare throw out their three-on-three. Like, to me, I just look at that and, like, put my hands up again and say, what is the point of this? 
or again, like a, a guy like a Hyman or a VC, that type of player, or even if they want to go full balls out and go Tavares, Marner, Matthews. Again, we'd get it. We'd understand. But with this, nah, I don't know. I'm confused. Yeah. I, Maybe and, and Leafs I, fans are confused very often, but like, like add this one to the list. And that's the thing. It's, it's confusion. It's confusion because it's like you, you would hope that Sheldon Keefe doesn't actually think that, that this is working. And that this is a good thing. This right? this would be a Babcock thing now that now that we're talking about yeah. it. <laughs> you, yeah, you know, this would be this, like, this well, he must know, he must be thinking something that none of us understand. But okay, yeah, th- this this is something Mike Babcock would do, and it would cause Leafs Twitter to just lose their damn mind. <laughs> and, Leafs and Twitter listen, misses. Leafs Twitter Babcock. has lost its damn mind to a certain extent through three games. Uh, but yeah, if, if this continues, I, I just can't see it being. It, it's not optimal. And that's all it comes down to. This is not the optimal first line of this Leafs team. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't see it. And again, maybe it'll get better if, if he continues to experiment with this. But I just don't think he fits in. And I think the Leafs should probably demote him sooner rather than later. Yeah. And yeah. Lepore, hopefully by I next guess, episode. What's that? I said hopefully by next episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh Another thing, Lepore, that we have to get to here, and speaking of Leafs Twitter, I've seen a lot of people really mad with the play of Frederick Anderson because we've seen this in the past, especially in the playoffs where he hasn't been his best. We've seen him get off to slow starts before. He allowed nine goals in his first two games, Lepore, and you mentioned it earlier in the show. He's in a contract year, the final year of a five-year, $25 million deal, What's going on here, Lepore? Do the Leafs have the luxury of waiting for this guy to find his game when you have Jack Campbell waiting in the wings coming off a win against the Senators? What would you do if you're the Leafs? You you mentioned Leafs Twitter. Someone threw out a stat. I think it was last two seasons, five on five. And Anderson's near the bottom of the league, man. Like he was like an eight, nine something among starting goalies, five on five, which is not good. Like just to show that this isn't something that's come into our brains in the first three games of the season. It's it's far too early to give up on Anderson, obviously, after three games, especially and everyone forgets, like everyone, you know, Jack Campbell's been solid and he's got a great personality, he's a likable guy. And we just are happy he's there because we don't have to deal with Hutchinson anymore. So it's oh man, like we have this big man crush on Jack Campbell. But like, what has he really shown that he can carry the load? So it's that whole thing of like, well, the alternative may not necessarily be better. So on that end, I'm on that end, I'll say that, you know, we'll let Anderson ride this out. But the way I look at it is kind of 50-50 because again, I want this team to run like a corporation and the tournament beliefs don't owe anything to anybody at this point. Nobody from top to bottom in this lineup has earned any right to been given leeway in that regard. So, and especially the goalie. So show me again, like if he continues to play like this, like Campbell's going to get more starts and he's going to get them anyway, because there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of busy weeks. So Campbell's going to get opportunities to show his worth. And if he's out playing Anderson, it's a short season. We can't waste any time. And again, like it's a contract year and, I think we can all safely say that Anderson's not going to be back next year. So what do we have to lose? And we're not going to trade him. So 
that's it. Like, like to me, to me, it's in the air. I'd say it's a 50, 50, like Campbell's going to get his shots and it's up to Anderson to show us that he is rightfully the starting goalie. I love the comment you made about this team being run like a corporation, how it should be run like a corporation, because, you know, it's, it goes back to the conversation we've had with Thornton and the top power play unit and Wayne Simmons. No one has earned any of that. No. We, at this point, this team needs to play its best players. This team, with the exception, I'll say with the exception of Austin Matthews and maybe Morgan Riley, no one on this team deserves anything, really. And listen, I, and that's not saying I'm not a fan of John Tavares and William Nylander. I think they're fantastic, okay? But going back to this Freddie Anderson conversation, I'm sorry, but if he's not playing well, and listen, last year he had his worst, the worst year of his career. He's bad. He had a 909 save percentage. He looked shaky all season. He was terribly inconsistent. Now I will give him this. In that Blue Jacket series, yes, he gave up, you know, a couple soft goals that were, you know, pretty big goals in the grand scheme yeah. of things in that series. Oh. But if you look at his overall numbers, they were really good in that Columbus series. Yeah, and but Bruno, how much does that matter in the short series? And like, like I'll point to that because people will point to his numbers. And, I, and that was similar to like those Bruins series in the way that people would say, oh, like his numbers are okay. But if you let in one bad goal, I don't care. Yeah. So, hey, sorry to cut you off there. No, but. no. I mean, you make a good point. Like at the end of the day, and even Anderson said this himself. He's like, it's such, there's such a fine line. He said this, I think after um, the 5-3 loss of the Sens, where he's like, there's such a fine line from having a good game as a goalie and a bad game. And, and it's so true. And, and listen, I don't care what team is playing in front of you. You can't be allowing nine goals in two games. Yeah. That's just unacceptable. He needs to be better. Being in a contract year, you would hope he's going to be better. Now, here's what I will say about Frederick Anderson. At his best, he's really good. And there's been stretches where Anderson, you know, more or less has carried this Leafs team over the last four years but i was gonna it seems like it's been a while like for me it's weird i almost feel like anderson was better when our defense was worse like in like the ron hainsey days were the days when it seemed like anderson was the man but then like we made slow progressions forward defensively and he's gotten worse like have you seen that i think it's i think it's more maybe of a recency bias thing just looking at what he did last season because again last season he was bad and, yeah. and I think maybe it has something to do with the style they're playing now under Keefe. How, you know, one thing I've noticed with Sheldon Keefe is that he loves when the defensemen, you know, go into the play and contribute offensively and maybe take some chances and be a little bit more aggressive. And that's going to hurt your goaltending, right? Because you're going to give up odd man rushes. Right. You're going to give up, you know, even the Leafs, they've, I mean, I'm sure you can, you've noticed the same thing. They, they still give up chances shorthanded. That's yeah. something that this team has done over the last couple of years, yeah. right? But yeah, I mean, there, there's something going on with Freddie Anderson. And I don't know if it's the style of, of play in front of him since Sheldon Keefe took over, but he just doesn't look sharp. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, being in a shortened season and with the back-to-backs, we know that Campbell is going to get more starts just naturally. I mean, it's going to happen across the national hockey league where you better have a competent number two goalie in a season like this. And, and guess what, Laporte, if, if Campbell starts stringing together some wins and he's clearly the more competent goalie and he gets in a groove, 
then I think the Leafs are going to have no choice in a season like this, but, but to ride the hot hand. I mean, it's just as simple as that. It's an opportunity. They can't waste this opportunity. Yeah. And and that's the thing, right? It's like with 56 games and with the expectations on this team, there's no screwing around. Just, just play your best players, play your best goaltender and go and win some damn games. And saying all that, Lepore, before we wrap anything up here, um, some last thoughts from you on what you've seen from this team and what you're hoping to see in week two of the season. Well, uh, what we've seen so far is that the Toronto Maple Leafs are, in fact, the Toronto Maple Leafs in the way that uh, they cause us to go gray and stress us out. But, hey, again, the the podcast is called Gluttons for Punishment. So uh, there must see TV, that's for sure, both in the way of uh, watching the games themselves and the talking points. But again, you asked me to sum it up. We just want to see consistency. We want to see solid play. I'm looking forward to seeing Lettinen. And it's kind of weird. In an odd way, I'd like less things to talk about on this podcast. Because if they're meeting expectations and playing well and Freddie's making stops and the big guys are scoring, there's not a lot of talking points. But again, the Toronto Maple Leafs being the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, there's talking points so far. So what are you hoping to see in the next two games? Who do, who do they have next? They have Winnipeg, and then is it Calgary? Yeah, so week two, there's four games, three three at home. They got Winnipeg, and then a back-to-back against the Oilers. Right, the Oilers. And then they head to Calgary on Sunday. Okay. So it should be an interesting week playing, you know, three new teams. That'll be good to, to check out the other Canadian teams. But, Lepore, you nailed it. it it's consistency. I want to see this team come out, and I want them to play – the way that I'm expecting them, and not just me, every Leaf fan is expecting them to play based on the, the talent they have assembled on this roster. Yeah. Stop screwing around. Stop giving us, you know, like the game we saw against the Senators, that 5-3 loss. And then if you do lose, bounce back with a really strong performance and prove to us that you are a Stanley Cup contender and prove to us that you are the best team in the Canadian division. And it's as simple as that. That's all I want to see from this Leafs team. I want to see com- some consistency. I don't want to see the up and down roller coaster that we saw last season. There's no injuries right now, with the exception of Nick Robertson. Yeah. Um, which, in the grand scheme of things, isn't really a big loss for this team. Um, I guess how they're currently constructed. But but again, Lapore, be the team that we all expect you to be, and that's it. And that's it. Just be good. That's gonna be the uh, that's gonna be the uh, the theme of this podcast, the core of this podcast. Just be good. <laughs> Just be good, Leaps, for the love yeah. of God. Yeah, that is going to do it for episode two of the Gluttons for Punishment podcast. Thank you so much for listening and watching us on YouTube. We can't wait to talk about week two of the Toronto Maple Leafs season. As I mentioned, they got the Jets the Oilers twice, and then the Flames. So hopefully we're going to have lots more to talk about. So for Michael Lepore, I'm Anthony Bruno. Thank you so much. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, everyone.